Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? So you saw the, the video there. Um, when I when I have a chance to share, it's very lively. In fact, usually sometimes, you know, usually for the most part, I'm competing with people for like the right to be heard. And so I need some feedback this morning, okay? So we're just going to pretend we're having some old-fashioned church. Is that okay? Um, it's all right. And if you need, just, if you got to fake it, just fake it. It's okay. I'll be, you know, Sam, you can clean this up next week. Okay. So, uh, no, but listen, I am truly grateful to be here. Thank you so much, uh, for, uh, allowing me the opportunity to share Sam, thank you so much. And let me just tell you, Sam can drive a van. Okay. He can drive a van. So two years ago, I had the opportunity to run a race with um, five others, a uh, member of our team, one of them was, was Melody, and um, so Sam, and then for a little while, Zach, but Sam was like, he drove our van, it was like this 200 mile race overnight, and like, um, we had to go from spot to spot, pick up different runners, and get to the next spot, and this dude had our van, um, our Urban Outreach van, which we had just gotten, and it didn't have, it was like ugly green with like yellow writing, it was awesome, it fit the scenario, I think, perfect. He got that van on two wheels on multiple occasions to make sure we, no, I'm just kidding. But um, Sam, it's awesome to be here. Thank you for allowing me to share. And Reve, thank you so much because everything I'm sharing today and when I talk about what we're doing uh, down in five points, every time I say we, please don't misunderstand me. Uh, we just doesn't mean myself and like my team down there. I mean all of us. You guys support us, and we are doing what we do at Five Points together. You are a part of what is happening uh, through Urban Outreach Denver. So I'm very, like I said, just honored. I feel privileged to be here to kind of give you uh, like a stakeholder's report on what's going on down at Five Points. And I'm going to do that by going through the book of Luke, chapter 14. This morning, I'm going to weave in some stories, weave in some things that, that, that are happening uh, through our Thursday night community dinners. And... I've talked to Sam many times about the evolution of, of what we're doing now and how it is has totally, totally changed uh, from what we thought it was going to look like. And when I think about what we're, you know, trying to do, the cool thing about it is that it's still the same, right? It's still the same thing. Uh, six years ago, we felt God had called us to Denver to reach the marginalized community. That was coming off of, some of you may remember the last time I was here, I shared um, kind of how I felt God had had prepared me in my calling to, to do this, and that was through uh, what I had been doing previously as a journalist, writing for a magazine, was downtown writing a story on the plight of the inner city and the homeless, and I had been spending the evening talking in particular with one young man, uh, and by the end of that night, saw him get stabbed and die on the 16th Street Mall. And that was the night my life took a left turn. Uh, that was the night my life totally changed. And my question, which is still the question that drives what we do today, was how are we going to reach him? How are we going to reach someone like him who doesn't feel good enough to go to a church on a Sunday morning? For whatever reason, whether it's just in his mind, but a perception that he's not welcome, that he's not good enough, whatever it is, there are many, many people who right now in Denver and, and in many other places don't feel like they are good enough to step into a church on a Sunday morning 
So then the question is not what are they going to do about it, but what are we going to do about it? The question isn't just what are the pastors of the churches going to do about it, or what are the missionaries going to do about it, or the Christians who have been going to church for 20 plus years, what are they going to do about it? No, anyone who identifies as a Christian, guess what, church? That's our problem. That's our responsibility. And we have to ask ourselves, what am I going to do about it? Uh, in Luke chapter 14, I'm going to be sharing from the parable of the great banquet. And if I could maybe ask you this week to, to if I could assign you a little bit of homework, right? But maybe this week, whatever you're going, you know, you're, you're, you're coming and going and, and different readings and things, maybe read through Luke chapter 15. Uh, what we go through today will give you a little bit of a, a, of a foundation for that. Because in Luke 15, we've got three famous stories, if you will, from the Bible. We've got the story, uh, the, the uh, story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and then, of course, the story of the prodigal son. There's three really famous stories in Luke 15, but they are predicated on what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to share from 14 verses 15 through 24, somewhere in there, and let me just read this parable. This is a parable of the great banquet. I'll pick it up from actually verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. That guy thought he was smart, right? Like, I, I'm trying to be a good husband, you know? He, he's kind of, to some degree, onto something, right? The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and in the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. What's happening here in Luke 14 is that Jesus is painting a picture of the gospel and he's using a banquet as kind of a a metaphor here. He's, he's, he's as an analogy, he's, he's using he, the, the, the table as an illustration of the gospel. And what he's doing is he's drawing this contrast between the worthy invitees, right, who found something more interesting to do than attend the feast that they were invited to, and the unworthy ones who were so surprised to receive an invitation that they would then have to be compelled to attend. Like they didn't even expect to be invited. And this is the message that is being sent through this story here about those who appeared to be worthy and those who appeared to be questionable and forgotten and who didn't even expect to be invited. These speeches that Jesus is giving, I feel, illustrate what we're trying to do at community dinner on Thursday night. Um, when we try to start a work, and I say a work because it looks so different now than what we thought it was going to look like. Originally, we tried to plant a church 
uh, and, and it is a church, but we thought we'd have a Sunday morning service down in the Five Points neighborhood for, uh, for the homeless, for, for the marginalized, for the gang members, for the prostitutes, for the pimps, for whoever wanted to come. That's who we felt tar- called to target with this church plant. And we started a lot of outreaches, urban outreach. Denver. We did a lot of outreaches, gave a lot of stuff away, um, engendered a lot of, you know, goodwill and, and just were earning trust. And for some reason, it wasn't translating over into people attending Sunday morning service. We were, um, we started these meals as a way to like, you know, let people know what we were trying to do. And we thought that as we're giving away these meals, on top of giving away socks, blankets, sleeping bags, hats, gloves, hygiene kits, all these things, that then, you know, we could say, hey, um, we're starting a church. This was back in September 2013. That, that we, you know, come, come to our church. We have the meals. Come to our church. And basically what we didn't realize was that on Thursday nights at our meals, talking about Jesus, the presence of God was there, we were already having church. And we came to this realization that you can make it to heaven from Thursday night, not just Sunday morning. Like, that's possible. That's amazing. So, so no, but please hear me. I'm born and raised in church. I'm a pastor's kid. Like, I don't belong on the streets. I, I, I just, that wasn't my, my life. I, I didn't grow up in that environment. So everything I knew, everything I thought I knew about church revolved around Sunday morning. And I love Sunday morning. Like, I love Coming to church on Sunday and engaging in worship, I really miss that on a personal level because our services on Thursdays look nothing like this, but I really enjoy Sunday morning, so I haven't like dissed Sunday morning or like turned my back on Sunday morning. It's not that at all. We feel like we are on assignment specifically into the Five Points neighborhood, and we're doing what needs to be done to let people like Perry, who I saw get lose his life so many years ago on 16th street mall so people like him can feel like they have a church of their own and jesus uses his illustration of the feast of the banquet i think to illustrate for us how uh man just how amazing the gospel is but how 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 how, there's a word i'm trying to think it's not coming to my mind but how diverse the body of Christ is or or you know the, the different ways that people are able to be reached and so if you look here at verse 12 because what's happening in Luke 14 is that Jesus is using these series of like mini speeches he's like using these little little talks here to to kind of ruffle some feathers because what he said here at the parable of the great banquet is on the foundation of what he says here in verses 12 through 14 let me read it for us really quickly Luke 14 12 through 14 Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is calling out his own host. What I love about this story is that the host of this setting is a Pharisee. Jesus is at the table having a meal with Pharisees and those who engage with Pharisees. Remember that Jesus called the Pharisees out 
quite often. It was about the Pharisees that Jesus said, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside of your cup is filthy. It was the Pharisees who Jesus called out in public many times, yet here he is at one of their tables, not just being associated, but actually sitting down and having a meal with someone that he vehemently disagreed with. And then he calls him out. In a way, he calls himself out because he's there, right? He's saying, listen, this banquet's cool. Like, this food is good. There's a lot of food. But man, what about those people that are never being invited to anybody's banquets? Because he draws this, this contrast between two different sets of categories. One is the friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, and the other is the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These are precisely the kinds of people that a Pharisee would consider not only unworthy, but also religiously unclean. So there's two kind of factors playing in here. He's making a social and a religious statement. Jesus is, let's remember, Jesus is not just the messenger of the gospel, right? Like, in other words, God didn't send Jesus to tell us about the gospel. God sent Jesus as a revelation of the gospel. Jesus is the gospel, right? He's not just the one who tells us about the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Therefore, the gospel rejects social and religious convention. The gospel rejects social and religious convention. In other words, social norms, religious norms of the day, fads, Jesus turns them on their head. If we're looking at society at large, uh, things that might be deemed you know, normal or conventional, well then turn the opposite way and that's the way Jesus would be walking. That's what he does. Basically, Jesus is saying, not just to invite the worthy or even the worthy poor, but the unworthy, the non-religious, the sinful poor. Invite the ones that everyone knows don't belong. Invite them. Think about them. Organize something for them. Be creative in your approach so that someone like that would feel welcome in your presence. Well, Jesus' speech here from this Pharisee's table makes, let's say, uh, reference to the end time, eschatological references. They also have application for today. I think of someone like my friend Richie here, who this was taken not this last Thursday, but the Thursday before. And this is my friend Richie in, in, in the blue shirt there. Someone who I would think doesn't belong. And I don't reference him in a derogatory way. And anyway, this is one of my dear friends. But this is someone who doesn't know how to act in a church setting. Many times, especially through the middle of the winter, when he comes in many, many layers, and you know how it is when you're cold outside. In Spanish, we say he comes in with all his mocos hanging out and... You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just cold, and he'll sit down, and, and you know, coffee is, is hot, and he's, he's just thawing out, so to speak, and, and, and much, much alcohol is coursing through his veins to help him cope. But when he comes in, 
and he senses the presence of God and he feels our love, he just weeps. I mean, he just weeps. And last winter, he kept telling me how his side hurt, like one of his kidneys really, really hurt. And he would cry and he'd wipe his mocos and he'd shake my hand and, and you know, it just was love, man. And, and he, after he would do that, he would, he would just shake my hand or, or hug me and he, he would say these two words and he, he says them all the time. Trials and tribulations, Pastor Isaac. Trials and tribulations. But I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that turns, it used to turn my theology on its head. It used to mess with me. Now, two Thursdays ago, I took this picture because he pulled up his shirt, like all the way up, right? And he showed me these gnarly scars. And he said, they took one of my kidneys. They took one of my kidneys. It hurt so bad. Well, I told him, well, Richie, they, they saved your life because you drink too much alcohol. And, and uh, they saved your life because your kidney was gone, like it was gone. And he goes, I know. I go, well, hey. Take care of the next kidney. Take care of your other kidney. I love you, man. And, and then we prayed. And I, you can't see it there, but he's got a rosary, and, and he's got a, a, a crucifix on his necklace. But this is someone that I think of when I think of the unworthy poor. And again, I don't say unworthy in a derogatory way. This is someone that I think society would deem, or God forbid, some churches would deem unworthy. These are specifically, these are precisely the people Jesus had not only on his mind, but in his heart while he was dining with, I don't know, I don't want to say it in a mean way, but like the high and mighties. When Jesus was at a Pharisee's house, at his table, it was the lowly who were on his mind. The application for today is that to be exalted in the end, we must be willing to take the most humble places now. To be repaid in the end, we must be willing to give without expecting to be repaid. To be invited to the big banquet, we must accept the invitation now while it is being given. One of the things I think about Richie is that he's accepted the invitation we have to realize, church, that there is coming a time when the invitations will no longer be given out. So that should compel us as the church to, to eagerly give out invitations, invite people to the gospel. Yes, many times that looks like inviting people to church, but it's not just inviting people to church. Because sometimes the tendency is, well, if I can invite them to church, then the pastor can work on them and get them saved. No, no, no. That's our responsibility. Invite them to the gospel. How do you do that? Look at my life. So then, my life better be, not, we're not asking for perfection, but my life better, it, it better be obvious to people observing my life that I am pursuing a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It better be obvious. I'm going to mess up. But in that failure, do I get back up and pursue? Do I? Am I willing to rearrange the habits of my life to come into congruency with the Word of God? Am I willing to rearrange my habits? 
Am I willing to cut some things out of my life that I really like to do also that I can be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I willing to do that? That's what inviting people to the gospel looks like. You see, it goes deeper. Then we don't have to worry about people's behaviors. They will change over time. As the Holy Spirit is working on people, their behaviors will change, just like ours hopefully are. What we're really doing, church, is asking people to just journey with us. Journey together. And it's not even so much, hey, journey with me, sit at my table. No, it's let's journey together. The table isn't just ours. One thing I, I try to remember Whoever it was, I mean, I'm talking specifically here, the, the, the very first original intended audience of the book of Luke, whoever those specific human beings were, what, did, what was this like to read this for them? How did they interpret it? And then the first Christians, let's say for the first couple hundred centuries, couple hundred years, their context was, that the central act of worship for them was a meal, okay? When Christians got together from the time of Jesus all the way up, definitely until the time of Constantine, 313 AD, in their mind, going to church or gathering as the body of Christ was all centered around sharing a meal. That's how, I mean, one more reason to love Jesus, right? He loved to eat right? And he, I mean, he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? So not only, not only can he like say, you know, to whoever come to, you know, come and eat or, but, but he can like invite himself to people's tables. Like, Hey, yo, I'm going to your house tonight. So you better cook it up big because like I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing lots of ministry and we're about to throw down, right? I think some way, somehow, man, I think Jesus already knew what street tacos were going to look like even back then. Okay. I just know he did, like for real. At community dinner, even though we prepare the table, okay, we're the ones out there, we set the linens, we set the centerpieces, we have Bibles that we give away, we have Christian literature, we, you know, we set the table, we invite people to participate. Jesus is the host, and we all are his guests. And the thing that I love about it I kind of feel like I just fell into dinner church. It just, it just happened. And then I was like, oh, this works. Like, this is awesome. We must resist the urge to claim back control of the table. It's not our table. On a very practical level, what that does is it fosters true diversity. Too many times I feel like diversity looks like this, like, hey, here we are, we want to be diverse, so you guys go over there and be diverse. No, 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 that's not diversity, okay? Right? We let people in the room, but we still segregate the tables. Because what we try to do is claim ownership of certain tables, or we are the ones that try to build these boundaries around which the, 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 the definition of true Christian should look like. And so we try to claim ownership, then we feel like we have the right to invite people to our tables 
And they're not our tables at all. So Jesus, being the image of the gospel, he sets the parameters. He decides the definition. He decides who's worthy to sit at the table. And because we're all so unworthy, we're all worthy because we're worthy in Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes us worthy. How do we try to, to pull back ownership of this table? It's we are the ones that try to sufficiently, like, like, like decide who is sufficiently orthodox enough. Like your, your theology is a little bit kind of weird, a little bit different than mine. Go sit at that table right there, right? Who's good enough? Whose intentions are pure enough? Who, who had the right upbringing? Man, subtle ways. I think that's the thing. It's, it's just like, yeah, racism, but, but even other things that are, that are happening in the church world, in, in society at large today, but disagreement doesn't always have to be loud and boisterous. Like sin and hatred doesn't always look loud and boisterous. It can be subtle and silent and just as evil. So when we force ourselves, force ourselves to sit at tables with strangers, with sinners, by that I mean other sinners just like ourselves, that's when the presence of God, Jesus is the host, that's when his presence becomes so real. So, here's what the gospel looks like within this context. God's provision of the gospel is generous. His invitation to the gospel is broad. But his invitation to the gospel is often rejected. I think we just need to be aware of that. So that we're not tempted to alter the message so that more people will accept our message. No, we have to understand the gospel. If they rejected Jesus himself, we will be rejected. Not everyone who receives an invitation to the feast will accept the invitation. Now, sometimes we have to understand what an RSVP looks like, right? Like in my culture growing up, Hispanic, right? We're brown. We don't even know what RSVP means, okay? Like for real, seriously. RSVP, what the heck? Who do they think they are? I think they're so fancy trying to get us to RSVP for parties and stuff. We just, look, man, I got the invitation. I'm going and I'm bringing about 20 friends as well. So y'all better be ready, okay? RSVP, okay? So, so we're not used to that, okay? But for other, like, I believe, like, I'm, you know, in white culture, because my wife is white, so I get to say this, okay? So, so like, there's, like, a window, and if you don't RSVP in that window, you're cut off. You don't get to go to the party anymore, because you didn't honor us by, by RSVPing in time, okay? And I say that in love, purely in love, okay? Seriously. But, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, it's like, okay, RSVP, like, okay, man, all right, well, I'm I already know about the party, so I'm going, whatever. But there is a time when we will have to, we have to understand. No more invitations will be given out. There's a time coming. The time is short. The point being made here is that Christian hospitality is at its best when it is being given and not exchanged. 
hospitality in the world, this is not saying that it's wrong, but it comes up short. It's not full. It's not thorough enough for Christian hospitality. See, hospitality in the world is, is fine. It's, it's, you got my coffee this morning. Next week when we have coffee, I'll get yours. It's, you invited us over for a barbecue next time, or maybe at some point, you know, we'll switch. That's, that's, that's hospitality as we would normally think of it, right? And Christian hospitality is just, it's just, here you go. Here you go. That's how Jesus loves us. I mean, every time we pray, he hears us. Every time we ask for, sometimes beg for forgiveness, he hears us. I mean, you know, this is Christian hospitality. So, we give and we don't expect to be repaid because we're not, after all, we're not, we're not giving. I'm not, I'm not giving it just to you. I'm doing what I do because I love Jesus and because I know what he's done for me. And there's no way that I could possibly repay him. Jesus calls us to serve those who cannot repay our kindness. He commends us when we reach out to the needy, the hurting and the broken to minister to them often in quiet ministries that no one ever sees. One of the things that I specifically remember God telling me as I was thinking about this and as we were coming into this was, Isaac, you have to be okay with working in obscurity. There will be many, many days when you're doing what you're doing and no one's going to notice. There's not going to be any, you know, Nine News is not going to be there filming from afar, zoomed in super close to make sure they get, no, no, no. There's not going to be anyone there saying, you did a good job loving that person who's very unlovable today. There's not going to be anyone there to help you, and we're in a basement space, and so like walking like God only knows how many times up and down, bringing stuff down, because anyone else who said they're going to help you didn't show up, and now you're unloading or loading all by yourself, right? It's okay. I don't have this kind of a smile on my face all the time when I'm doing that. I'm just going to be honest with you. But but it's okay. It's okay. He sees. This demonstrates and it helps us learn true righteousness. It doesn't look for a payback. It's offered free of charge, graciously, just as God through Christ has forgiven us, free of charge. The themes of the great banquet then our humility and generosity. So when you think about Urban Outreach Denver, what's Urban Outreach Denver? And I checked in on Facebook here this morning, so go to that, and then I tag Urban Outreach. So like our Facebook page. But anytime you think about it, you hear, first of all, it looks much grander on Facebook, right? Everything does, okay? We're in a little basement space. We try to pack it out. We try to have a lot of food, but it speaks to humility and generosity. And there are many things that we're not, okay? There are many things that we're not. But what we try to be is present. You can't make a difference somewhere if you're not there. It goes without saying. And I think too many times the church at large, we're trying to make impact in places that we're not. We want to be seen from afar and we want people to gawk at what they think we're doing because they're not close enough to see the details. Because the, the details are always much more gritty, right? Than they appear to be from afar. Jesus was in the details. He made a difference 
in the details. So practically speaking, what we try to do at community dinner, and last Thursday was our 319th dinner. So May 23rd, 2013, up to today, we celebrate every week because many things come together for them to be pulled off. There have been many times where we're like, what's going to happen? We didn't even have plumbing down in our space for the first four years, and it was kind of hard, <laughs> but we made it work, and we survived, and we made it through in large part because of churches like you who support us monthly. Every penny we spend comes from supporting churches just like you. Every penny. So that the riches of the world can come in and, and know that Jesus loves them. But we have an abundance of food. So we have our caterers like planned for like twice as much food as they think they're going to need. Um, there are some times when we have more food at the end of the night than people who came. Uh, so then what we do is we have to go boxes and we take them down to Lawson Park, which is just like a block um, south of where we are. So we're located on 26th and Welton. We're like 0.9 miles from the Denver Rescue Mission, straight east. Okay, And so there are several parks between us and the Rescue Mission, and that food goes very quickly if we have any extra. But usually we run out uh, because we have an abundance of food. And that's actually a very strategic thing as well. You can imagine if there are street folk that some have any, I mean, we've had people pass out. We, I mean, look, I'll just not trying to shock value, but I'm just saying things that we've seen. We had a guy who was delirious. He hadn't eaten in three days and he was stumbling and he like, right before our church service starts, he like urinates all over himself, passed out. He hadn't eaten. So we get him downstairs. We get him some, some water. We get him food to eat. And he was so humiliated when he kind of realized what had happened. We took him back into our storehouse and we got him clothes and shoes. And he walked out a new man. Like, and I'm not saying all his problems went away, but I'm saying this is someone who I think about who deserves to know that Jesus loves him too. And he deserves a seat at the table. And this generosity, when people come in and they don't have to angle for their place in line because they're not certain if they're like way back in line that, they're, that there's going to be enough food for them, right? So they're going to be smart. I have, they might have a question and come up and ask me and then slip in line at the beginning of the line or different things. But many fights have been averted because they know we have plenty of food. You can chill. We got a ton of food. Generosity. People are being preached to long before I even start the Christ story. Because they're being loved in excess. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of coffee. There's a lot of Kool-Aid. And we really, when we're really turning it up a notch, when we add Sprite into the Kool-Aid, you know what I'm saying? That's like, man, that's like the bomb. You know what I'm saying? But the invitation is open to everybody. Over-the-top kindness, warmth, smiles, and laughter. Table discussion about Jesus and declaring God's word. Worship music is playing. And we pray. It's really, really simple. It's, it's not like it's rocket science, right? But here's the thing, and I'll wrap it up with this. We, we, uh, we didn't realize, there's a couple of things. We didn't realize that the sociological piece really mattered. So like the Sunday-centric way of doing church is great for most of us. But for a lot of people, the rhythm of their life is not conducive to a Sunday-centric schedule of doing church. So now, my life, my family's life, we've had to kind of undergo this, like I said, evolution in our own lives. Now we're Thursday-centric people, 
And so it sounds really weird for me to say, but like Sunday is not just any other day. I'm, I'm still, I don't know, man. Like I just, you know, but Thursday is like our Sunday, you know? Uh, the sociological piece is, it really mattered actually. It really mattered. It made all the difference. By the way, after two years of trying to make Sunday morning service work, we just canceled it because quite frankly, I just dreaded it. And it was a great day when we just realized we don't have to worry about Sunday morning service anymore. We're doing church on Thursday. Thank you, Jesus. But the second is this. We have, as, as the church as a whole, we have vastly undervalued the spiritual significance of simply sharing a meal with someone who is not like us. There's nothing wrong with getting together with family and friends. There's nothing wrong with that, but we must, it must be in our conscience somewhere that, that what about those who never get invited to anyone else's table? It's a very spiritually significant thing to sit at a table and share a meal with someone who might believe way differently than you do about the things of God. It's very, very significant. So, a couple of things going forward. Uh, um, we've essentially distilled everything that we're doing down to, we do dinner church. We feel like we do it reasonably well. We've added a Monday night dinner church for kids, actually, who who are in need and, and it's a fun time. We just feel really strongly that we want to add dinner churches throughout the city throughout the week. Our vision is that every night of the week in some part of the city, sore neighborhoods, rough neighborhoods, uh, that there'll be a dinner church happening some way, somehow. So because of that, our building, again, you see Urban Outreach, you think about dinner or anything, just send up a quick prayer. We would love a building that would be suitable to, to house a commercial kitchen. We don't have a commercial kitchen. Uh, if we had a commercial kitchen with a space that we could house a dinner church right there, as well as use that kitchen to be a central kitchen to get, to get dinners out to the rest of the city in spaces that we can just be in for maybe three hours a week, we really feel like this is the way God is leading us. And it allows us to have a, a place to have central training, a central strategy, like a central vision for the city, and a central place to come and pray for our city. Again, it's not flashy at all by any means, but you are absolutely more than welcome to join us anytime you want, okay? Six o'clock, every Thursday, 26 in Welton. Facebook, you can ask Sam. You can contact me. Our, my cards are on the, on the, on the chairs I just want to say thank you, and I, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm humbled to represent you down in Five Points, um, because we wouldn't be there if it wasn't for people like you. We wouldn't be there today, and um, you, by being a missions-hearted church, see, I love what God's doing all around the world, Brazil, right, man, China, whatever, Africa, wherever. I love what God's doing around the world. Um, but man, there are some things to be done right in our own backyard as well. Not instead, but as well. And God's big enough. He's big enough. So, church, I just want to say thank you. Truly, I'm humbled um, to, to be here and share 
just what kind of what's going on in our neck of the woods. And um, yeah, if you're ever down there, let me know. I'll buy you a cup of coffee, okay, or lunch or something. And just want to make sure that you know how grateful we are for you. So thank you. God bless you.